Hi, friends. Happy Memorial Day. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, coming at you live from the That Sounds Fun podcast studio. I hope you are doing something beautifully outside and warm and celebrating this holiday of Memorial Day. The music in the background is from our good buddy, Mr. Torn Wells. Make sure you grab a copy of his album, Citizen of Heaven. Y'all, I am so excited about today's episode. When we start talking about summer, I want to talk about what we should be reading. Now, y'all know that we have lists, and you can go to AnnieFDowns.com slash blog, and you'll be able to see the different lists of books from our podcast guest in 2019, our podcast guest so far in 2020, and the books for the mini BFF book club that happens every Monday night at 6 p.m. on Instagram Live. I love talking about books, and my guest today, Professor Karen Swallow Pryor, is one of my favorite people to talk books with. She actually is working with B&H Publishers to re-release some absolute classics and include some of her own thoughts and intro and some discussion questions. It is amazing. You are going to hear us talk about it. So far, the ones available, Sense and Sensibility and Heart of Darkness, two classics that we should all be reading this summer. But make sure you get Karen's version, which we will link to, because it's like taking a English literature class in the book you're holding. It's just the coolest. So here is my conversation all about writing and reading and Jane Austen and faith and when God shows up in unexpected places with Karen Swallow Pryor. Hey, Karen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it feels like such an honor. I'm such a big fan of your work. I'm going to try really hard to be like cool about it. But if I get not cool about it, I'm really sorry. Well, likewise. I mean, you know, we can both just be not cool together. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Here's where I would love to start, if you're okay with it. We're, we're recording this about a week and a half before the show comes out. And the one of the main news stories everyone in my world is talking about that I'm seeing is the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey, a young black man in South Georgia. Can you just, uh, you're a theologian that I love to follow. Can you just kind of Give us some words on what does advocacy look like for people of faith, particularly white people of faith? Wow, that is a really important question. And and I don't really presume to know the answer or have the whole answer. I just know that I have learned a lot myself in the past few years. I think that I personally have have been blind to Mm. racism and systemic racism and the long, long, long term generational effects of slavery and oppression for most of my life, um, having grown up in the North and just thinking, you know, all this stuff was history and um, not feeling like I felt prejudiced myself. And so, but it's really been in the past few years um, with increased attention on injustice against people of color, especially young black men. Yeah. And they've all been horrible stories. There have been many of them. And, and, and there have been some that, that seem complicated and nuanced. And yet when we come down to it, the fact is simply that to be a Black person, especially a Black male walking around the world, is to be in an extremely vulnerable place, no matter who you are or what your history is. 
And this story, this story, I mean, I've been gutted by many of them, but this one just really, really gutted me. We should all be crying out. Right. What is it about this one? Is there is something about this one that that literally stopped me in my tracks? I mean, this is the this is pr- probably the most egregious example. In broad daylight, two white men jumped into a truck and chased after a black man jogging, which I'm a jogger, so it hits ho- close to home for me too, yeah. and gunned him down. And what is it in our culture that made these men think that they c- could do that, that they should do that, and that they would be safe doing that? It feels not helpless. It feels borderline helpless because you're like, okay, I shared about it. I I spoke up and using our voice really matters. But I also feel like, well, what else can we do? What what can I say to my black friends to help them feel safer here, wherever here is with me in the world? I don't know. You know, I don't know if there's much that we can say. I think, again, and this is what I've had to learn to do because I'm a speaker and I'm a teacher and I like right. to talk and I like to tell people how to think. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we need to listen and we also need to mm. leave room for woundedness to express itself. And sometimes that comes across as like, we think maybe too angry or too mournful or too whatever, but that's just a natural healing process. We have to let trauma respond so that the trauma can gradually diminish. We have to leave room for anger, for lament, for hurt, for pain, for confusion, even if we don't understand why that response, you know, if we think it's too extreme or too much, we have to leave room for it. It's just natural, a natural part of healing. Yeah. Put, put together your professorship, your theologian brain with this as well, again, and as you're doing, but I, I just would love to know when you think about scripture and when you think about what God's doing on the planet right now, what's going on? (laughs) What is all of this happening at the same time? And from the injustice to wildfires to the pandemic, I mean, what's, what's going on? Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I'm sure many listeners and maybe you can relate to this. I I grew up in a Christian home and I grew up with my, uh, my mom. She's still here. She still thinks everything is pointing to the end times. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. And I get so tired of it, but I tell you what, in these recent days, I'm starting to think like my mom a little bit. It's, it's, it's very strange. And the book that I, I, I've been thinking about a lot lately really is the book of Amos, which, you know, is a book of, of one of the minor prophets. And right. I don't it, ever go there. I know, I know we don't. And, and it, it's a book of satire, too. It's a book of biting satire, where the prophet Amos, you know, he, he calls the people names, he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. I mean, he's speaking Mm. to the rich and the wealthy who are oppressing the poor by ignoring their pain and their suffering. And there's great judgment that is being pronounced upon the people who are doing this. And these are not the prophets that are pleasant to to hear when we think about those words being directed against us or our culture or heaven forbid the church. 
Yeah. And I'm an Enneagram seven, Karen. So, you know, I'm not running to Amos, <laughs> you know, that I'm not going for those that are like, here's what's terrible. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's go to like first John. That's kind of sweet. And, but and I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Even the, even the, ver- you know, there's a verse from Amos that applies possibly again. I'm, I, I can't, you know, I, I tremble to th- to think of that I know exactly what the Lord is saying to us in this day, but you know, but, but this is what Amos says to the church. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I cannot stand your assemblies. Hmm. Woe to us. If this is what God is trying to show us in this pandemic, but hopefully if it is, he, we will listen. He's going to, he hates our assemblies. If we are, unjust and oppressing the poor and the needy. Yeah. So how have you, how do you process that right now when our churches can't gather, when we're not able to do very much outside of our homes, what does it look like to be an advocate for the underprivileged and to serve the poor and the needy? Well, first of all, we still are the church and, but I'm not, you know, of course I'm not one of these who says, well, you know, we don't have to assemble together. We, we are supposed to assemble together. And so, I mean, we, and we are to not neglect that. And during this time when we can't physically assemble, which is what I believe the church is supposed to do, we have to long for that time when we can be back together, but we can also, again, use that time and, and use this lack in our lives to ask how God would have us serve one another and serve the world mm. in other ways. Um, yeah. And 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 to think also that I find myself thinking a lot about the church historical and the different conditions that they have been in and that, that you know, their oppression and their lack of freedom, um, ours it is temporary, I'm sure. Um, but there's a lot, I think, that we can learn about it and take into the future as we go through this time. Yeah, I I think so, too. We are on, I'm on day, I'm in the mid-50s of how many days I've been home. And I just would have never dreamed we would ever do anything like this. Like, who could have ever dreamed this up? What has your, like, personal experiences with God been like at your house? Well, for me, I mean, I'm really blessed in a, in the sense that um, because of the way that I live and the lifestyle that I have, it hasn't been that disrupted. We live in the country. My elderly- Yeah, where do y'all live? I don't know where you live. <laughs> we live in the in, in rural Virginia in the foothills okay. of the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's, it's God's country. It's beautiful here. And we're yeah. fairly isolated. We live in, a, in a, such a small town that um, when I when I do go to the grocery store, we're not dealing with the lines and and some of the things that other places I see dealing. We have some shortages, but it's yeah. not it's not difficult. My elderly parents live with us in a home we built them, and so I'm oh, taking wow. care of them and isolating for them. And so, and is it you and your husband? At yes, your house, my, or do you have me and my, my we have no children, so it's my okay. husband and I. My elderly parents are our dogs and chickens, and um, it's 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 that. idyllic, but it also it, it's what I'm thinking about a lot in terms of the Lord and my faith is it's like this moment offers us a freeze frame. Like we all had to freeze Mm. in place. Yeah. And, and we can look at our lives and say, if this is, you know, this is, I'm frozen here. What would I have done differently if I had had warning preparation, if I knew that this would happen and what can I do differently now? So it's like Mm. this, picture. 
and we all get the chance to look at it. And I, I've got some things I'm looking at and saying, you know, that I need to change because I don't want to live the rest of my life this way or be stuck this way. And so I think that's an opportunity that we all have. And I'm guessing for your life, which is true for a lot of my life too, that a lot of my work, I've, I mean, I just have a normal work day every day. Yes. <laughs> I'm just not sitting with my coworkers, like my employees at my office. We're just all sitting at home, but I'm still writing and I'm still recording these shows. And right. I mean, I'm doing everything except traveling and speaking. So my Monday through Thursday work day still look fairly similar to how they did before. I just don't have, I'm not married yet and don't have any kids yet. And so I just don't have any friends around is the big oh. difference. <laughs> well, and of course, I did have to transition to teaching my classes through Zoom or through Microsoft sure. Teams. And I'm a person who just, I teach with my whole person and I only teach yeah. in person. And I was, that was actually, I, I my students asked me the other day in our last, our last, our final exam period that we had online, they, I was asking them what they learned over the semester. And then they said, what, what did you learn, Dr. Pryor? Wow. <laughs> and I said, you know, I said some more meaningful things. But one thing I said is, you know, just learning to teach online was not only hard for me, but it was something I didn't want to do and didn't think I could do. And I had to force myself to do. And it's one of the hardest things that I've done in a long time. And but I did it. And, and, yeah. and I did it because my students also were helpful. We were all in it together. Yes. And that's another neat thing about this time is seeing how we can help one another. I used to teach elementary school. And so I've had a lot of thoughts toward teachers and, and what it is like for teachers going back to, you know, if you think about elementary school teachers going back to empty classrooms, mm. but it like a, you know, like the kids just raptured, like it just, they just disappeared, you know, <laughs> it's not the end of the year cleanup. What are, what are some things you and your other professors have talked about? What are some other things that have surprised you as an educator about this pandemic time? Well, you know, one of the reasons that I thought that this teaching online wouldn't work is because I thought it would, the students would kind of get out of the schedule and not, you yeah. know, not show up. I had better, I mean, I have good attendance in my classes when we're there, but I had almost perfect attendance with very few exceptions through this online. And I feel like I, I had the sense, some students expressed it and some, you could just tell they wanted to be together and they missed it and they were so committed. And I just, it's just something I feel like we kind of all took for granted uh, when we can be together. And I I just was very moved by my students desire to meet. And sometimes the class time would be over and they wouldn't leave. And so we would just sit Mm. there on, on zoom and, and talk some more. And I don't know, that was just very touching to me. And anyway, I don't know if that answered your question, but it's something that's beautiful. Yeah, I, they're just, they, they are very um, sensitive, intense human beings, these college students. And, yeah. um, and they're in a, you know, they, they have some special kinds of losses they're going through right now, but they've been, they've been real champs. How ha, have you been counting your losses in this too? I, I heard a pastor, no, sorry, a counselor talk this week saying we should really make a list of the things we're grieving because it'll help us mm. heal. Have you, mm. have you gone through that process yet? I have not. I haven't made a list, but I have been thinking uh, about a lot of the things. I mean, I had, uh, you know, half a dozen speaking engagements get canceled. And of course, that's, you know, that's a significant, you know, or not insignificant amount of income. But more than that, I was so looking forward to the people that I was going to be seeing there and the visiting that I would take place when I was returning places. And so not seeing those people and having that fellowship was a big loss. And 
And an- another thing to go back to my students, I, I usually have a at least one class over to my house um, at the end of the mm. semester. And I'm really sad that I wasn't able to um, have that hospitality for my students and kind yeah. of time together because they always appreciate being in a home for a little while. So where do you fall on the scale of enjoying looking at things that hurt and running from things that hurt? <laughs> like, do you have it? Do you identify as a certain Enneagram type? Like, where do you fall on that? Well, I'm definitely not into the Enneagram. I think I'm a little too old, but I will tell you my students, you know, they, they are really into it. And one of them, some while ago made me take the test and and then the others I walk one day I last fall I walked into the classroom and my students said they were all there and they said Dr. Pryor what's your number and I said eight and there were high fives and amens all around like they knew it they knew I was an eight that's what they had all guessed yes that's awesome so is so do you tend to like when things like this happen, they have a lot of sadness in them. Are you good at sitting in that? Have you learned how to do that? Or God, that's not easy for me. I have mm-hmm. to like make myself do that. I think that I face it head on, but don't, it doesn't, I don't dwell. It doesn't make me that sad. Mm-hmm. So I just, mm-hmm. I process it and face it. And uh, it's actually, you know, some of the trauma that I've been through recently that I, I, that I learned more about that, um, some things that I didn't know. And so I just kind of let it come and, um, and then it's over with. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on that on, especially in this kind of scenario where none of us know how to do this and we're all brand new to this. How do we, what's the appropriate amount for me? It's going to be different for everybody, Mm -hmm. I think, but what's the appropriate amount of like sitting in the sadness Mm -hmm. and the appropriate amount of pulling myself up by my bootstraps and like getting back to work and water those plants and, you know, (laughs) like move your laundry again and do the dishes again and all that stuff that I don't do as much when I'm not in my home 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. We are all responding to it differently and um, we need to leave room for that as well. Yeah. As we were talking right before we started, I was asking you that it was about, it was almost exactly two years ago when you were here in Nashville and were hit by a bus. Is that correct? That is correct. Do I remember the story correctly? You were just walking across the street. Is that how it happened? Yeah, I was uh, I was in town for a conference and had a meeting beforehand, a meeting uh, with my editor at Lifeway. And I thought that I would walk to the meeting. I thought I would, uh, you know, it was a beautiful, well, May morning. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I I was using one of those apps, the walking apps, and I'm not yep. good with that. And I got myself lost and, um, and I'd left plenty of time, but I thought, well, you know, I better go back to the hotel and get a cab um, because I'm, I'm, I'm lost and I'm not going to, I don't want to be lost. And so I was clearly um, distracted. I turned around and was heading back to my hotel. I wasn't far from it. And I stepped into a, a crosswalk and didn't see the bus until it hit me. <sighs> my God. And I think, you know, I remember looking in one direction and not in the, I mean, I don't remember looking in the other. I don't know. No. Sure. But I, I think, you know, I live in, a, I found out later that the crosswalk rules are different. And I live in an area and live on a, and work on a campus where we're very casual about the crosswalk and we just step mm-hmm. in and everyone stops for us. And I think sure. I just have that sort of, in, you know, I just have that yeah, bad, bad habit. And I think that's what happened. Uh, and I spent eight days at Vanderbilt Hospital, which is a 
wonderful place to be if you're going to get hit by a bus experts and uh, came home and spent the next several months um, recovering at home in in a way that actually feels very similar to what we're going through now. Really? Yeah. Except, except now I can walk and then I couldn't, but yeah, because I couldn't go anywhere. And, um, and it was just, yeah, it was a time of, of, you know, people would come here and visit, but it was still very, very similar of just being home um, and not being able to get out and about. Um, but this is better for me than that yeah. was. What's your reflection on it now that we're two years? What's, I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think when you think about that day? Well, it's interesting because it does tie into the very things we've just been talking about. And that um, number one is trauma. Um, I hadn't, haven't had a lot of trauma in my life. I've been very fortunate. And so I, you know, I would hear and read things and, and talk to people who'd had it and kind of try to understand and, and just, you know, have the head knowledge of, oh, this is what trauma does to people without Mm -hmm. having any idea until something happened to me that how real trauma is, how visceral it is and how you really don't have control. Um, and how when there are triggers like the time of year, the time of year comes and my, it's like my body remembers um, when I began to run oh, again. Wow, that's interesting. Yes, it's very it's 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 weird. And when I when I began running again, thank the Lord, I was able to, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fully recovered and I, I run again. But uh, and it's getting a little bit better. But I, I would picture every single vehicle that passed me at, you know, 50 miles an hour out here in the country hitting me. Um, and I just, I, I had to, it goes back to the question you asked before, how to, I didn't like it, but I would allow it to happen and let it go. Just take it, let it go. And, and, uh, and that's what I've learned to do. And I would never have understood that really before, um, I experienced trauma for myself and it's, it's completely irrational. Sometimes I have a physical response. I will put up my arm in front of the car mm. and I just let myself do that. And it's not rational, but trauma is not rational. And that's why these, you know, when we talked about racism and, and generational trauma, I'm not saying that, that the responses are irrational, but they seem like that from the outside sometimes because the emotions are what the emotions are and um, our bodies our bodies respond. That's what emotion actually means. Emotion is a, is a motion that comes out of the body. It's caused Mm -hmm. by the body. And that's not something that we can always just think away. Right. Right. And I would just imagine I have, I also um, have not had a trauma like that. So my, my trauma knowledge is lowercase T trauma, but I just would imagine that, that the, it takes some time. It feels a little bit like a, the backside of a, of a bell curve. It would take some time to where that wouldn't be the thing you think about every day. Exactly. And I, and I can see that, you know, I can see it, it change. And, and it's interesting because it's not always a linear progression. I've actually have had more of those sort of visceral responses lately. And then I remind myself, oh, well, I'm not thinking about the fact that it's the same time of year, but my body knows because it's yes. spring and there are just so many sensational, I mean, of the senses, memories of, of that time of year and, and all the things that go along with it, that again, the conscious mind isn't thinking of, but that I associate now mm-hmm. with that, uh, this time of year with that accident. When I went to, there's a center here, a counseling center called Onsite. And when I went to Onsite, one of the things they kind of taught us is how, how much your body remembers, like your body mm-hmm. cannot lie to you. 
Your body remembers mm. what your mind doesn't remember. Your body remembers the lies you try to tell yourself. Your body doesn't lie. And, right. and so those feelings, I'm, I'm learning. My counselor and I talk about trusting my gut, like mm. trusting my body that when my body feels something, I don't have to tell it. No, 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 no. You don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Instead, I have to go, what are you telling me that I don't know? Yes, yes, exactly. And it's a, it's a powerful practice. <laughs> and everything in our modern culture, our modern Western culture, including the church, resists that truth. Mm. Why? Why do we do that? Why, why do I resist it so much? Oh, it's just, you know, it is part of what it means to live in the modern age, the, mo- the mo- modernity, which is like the fast, last 500 years um, post-Enlightenment is a period in which we, you know, we, it comes from Descartes' famous saying, I think, therefore I am. And so everything, mm-hmm. everything, you know, is rooted in our rational mind and anything that doesn't, that, that, that everything gets subsumed under that. And that's just what it means to, to be in, in the modern age where science is, is the primary form of knowledge and rational thinking trumps emotion. When yeah. the fact is that all of these things, I mean, should be in balance with one another. Like you said, we should use our rational mind not to dismiss what's happening in our body, but to, you know, to listen to it and say, oh, what's going on? Correct where needed, but not completely dismiss or ignore, but to recognize there's something going on there that we need to pay attention to. Yeah. The thing I've experienced is I feel like a more whole person when I'm not trying to tell my body, it's not telling me the truth. Like Mm. it feels like trusting my body and trusting even like that my emotions are coming up for a reason. The thing I'm feeling, I'm feeling for a reason has made me feel more connected as a person altogether between my body and my spirit. Does that seem true? Is that, am I making that up? <laughs> oh, no, no, you are not making it up. And because, you know, because we are, you know, I, I, many people have said something along this line, including C.S. Lewis. I can't find the origin of the quote, or, but it's something like we're not bodies, you know, we're not souls with bodies. We are embodied souls. Like, mm. you know, if we are alive, we have body, spirit, and soul it's all together it's not and, and mind it's not just one or the other and you can't you can't we can think about them differently but they all work together there's no separate if if they're separated we're dead mm-hmm. yeah Literally. that's right that's right <laughs> all the way yeah that's exactly right but i do yeah and i just have felt so, uh, an increase of peace as the as my body and my spirit have become friends versus mm-hmm. feeling like sometimes they're on different teams that's that's some well earned wisdom to live by, and we all, we all <laughs> need to years, learn it. Yes. <laughs> years, years and dollars. I say all the time. I feel like I've probably bought my counselor a boat at this point, but I it has been worth it for me. <laughs> hey, friends! Just interrupting this conversation with Karen to tell you about some of our partners, including Ritual. We deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies, you guys, and that's why Ritual's founder is on a mission to reinvent the vitamin industry. Y'all have heard me talk about it before and how much I enjoy them. Not only has Ritual obsessively researched each nutrient in their visionary women's multivitamin, carefully choosing forms that are absorbable by the body, but they've also tested their formula. Science-backed isn't just a buzzword for them. It's the standard. Y'all know I love taking these Ritual vitamins 
You know the trick. They smell like mint, so it doesn't stink like a vitamin. But we all should be taking vitamins every day to make sure we're keeping our immune system up, to make sure we're staying healthy, and to make sure that we are getting all the nutrients that we need. Ritual uses high-quality ingredients because 40% of women can't even properly utilize the synthetic form of folate, which is folic acid, which can be found in many multivitamins. And that is why Ritual uses folate in its absorbable form to help cover women's needs. And if you're an obsessive label reader like me, Ritual uses vegan-certified, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients and their sources. And it's all out there for the whole world to see because they believe you deserve to know what you're putting in your body and why. Daily changes can lead to big results. So start small today. Ritual is offering my friends 10% off your first three months. That's 90 days. That's the summer, y'all. Let's do it. Try it out. Satisfaction guaranteed. Go to ritual.com slash that sounds fun to start your new ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash that sounds fun. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends at Thistle Farms. Y'all know this is one of my very favorite stops in Nashville. When people ask me where they should go when they are here, I always say, you got to go to Thistle Farms Tea Shop and Restaurant over in West Nashville. It's one of my very favorite places. They are local, but they're also national and global. Thistle Farms is a social justice enterprise that's providing healing and housing and employment for women survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. I told you about them a couple of weeks ago. They've sent me one of their candles from the new healing collection and it smells so good. You guys, it is so good. Lighting a candle is incredibly symbolic for Thistle Farms. They've lit a candle every day, y'all, for over 20 years to symbolically light the way home for the next woman coming off the street. Why does that make me feel teary? That's so beautiful. You can light the way home too by getting a candle at Thistle Farms. Dot org. And if you use the code that sounds fun, you get 15% off. So make that two candles, one for you and one to give away because you get 15% off using the code that sounds fun at thistlefarms.org. We always have it linked in the show notes as well. If you don't remember, thistlefarms.org and use the code that sounds fun for 15% off. And now back to the show. Now you're mainly your professorship is around like, are you mostly doing English literature classes? What do you mostly teach? Like if we're signing up at your university, what are our options for classes from Dr. Pryor? <laughs> right. Um, well, of course, it's changed over the years. I've been uh, at Liberty University for over 20 years. And when I first began teaching, I would teach a lot of classes, including the general education classes for freshmen and, and sophomores. You know, the courses everybody has to take in English. Sure. Um, but primarily now I teach upper level English classes for the majors, as well as a couple of, of graduate courses. And then I'm making a huge transition in my life uh, because I will be going to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I will, again, primarily be teaching English classes in the college there, but will also be teaching from time to time, a course in the church and culture, because, you know, Christianity and culture is, is become one of my, my additional interests and areas of study. And so it's a wide range, but my, my, Precise academic specialty is 18th century British literature um, and the 18th and 19th century English novel. Um, yes. So those are my my favorites. <laughs> Which let me tell you, Karen, I am excited to jump into this because 
Your girl Annie is a Jane Austen mega fan. I love her. I love oh, her. Oh my goodness. I you didn't tell me this beforehand. I know. And now <laughs> yeah, like I'm like, okay, a big big sigh here. Okay, we are we can be friends. <laughs> oh, we are yes, we are in this to win it. I mean, I am oh. I love her writing. I love her life. And, and the way she worked things out in her writing, the way she told herself stories that we all got to hear because she was working through stuff in her own head. I, I just like her so much as a person. So, <laughs> I can't, I can't wait to see her in heaven. Won't it be fun? Uh, yes. The three of us, we have a, yes. we have a lunch oh, date in heaven. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I will. Yes. I was actually supposed to go with, I think your friends as well with Tish Oxenrider and Emily P. Freeman. I was supposed to go with them this summer on their literary London trip. Oh. Where, and I, it was like my birthday gift to myself. It's been one of the bigger disappointments of my experience in the pandemic is that trip oh, canceling. But, that's a big oh, loss. I just, I've never mm-hmm. seen where she lived and where she rode. And oh, I was just so looking mm-hmm. forward to it. What is it for you with Jane Austen? What is it for that? And even for that era of literature, what is it you love so much about? <laughs> oh it? my goodness. Oh, well, we'll start with just Jane Austen specifically. And, and again, this ties to the conversation we were having before. Jane Austen, and, and, and if, again, any some people who don't know her, there's there are misconceptions about her that I want to clear up. She yes. is a cerebral writer. She was yes. witty and satirical and about thoughts and ideas, very rational. And I have that tendency myself. I mean, that's why I was kind of late coming to this, you know, mind, body, emotion connection that we've been talking about. My bias is definitely toward what Austin would call sense, reason. And yet, so these, her, her books are theological, they're philosophical. She's, you know, she's basically a a virtue ethicist, a satirist, all of these wonderful things. And yet she brings all of these things down to the level of, of her world, the world she knew, the world of relationships and family and marriage and um, domestic economy. And so she, you know, she, 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 she put it herself like painting, painting in fine strokes on an ivory. Um, yet she gets the picture of the whole human condition into this little tiny picture of the world that she, the narrow kind of confined world she knows. She's brilliant in short. Yeah, she's brilliant. Okay, so tell me how you know about her faith. Like, yes, we'll see her in heaven. Did she write a lot about her personal faith? She she did not well, she did not write a lot about her faith in the in the way that we would think of today. She was the daughter of an Anglican clergyman and an, a clergyman who, unlike, you know, many at the time and hey, many today, actually w- was devout and devoted and was had a genuine call to ministry. For a lot of people then it was just a job. For a lot of people today, it's too often about power. So she's the daughter of an Anglican clergyman. She's very faithful in attending um, services um, and, and they were held in the household. Uh, you know, they're, they're, she being Anglican, she would follow the book of common prayer. She wrote several of her own prayers that are preserved um, to this day. And then just the infusion. Yes. Can you read uh, her prayers? Are they in a book? They are in uh, in a book. There actually there is uh, a book. I'm reaching for it now. Uh, that came out recently. This isn't the only one, but the most recent one is by Rachel Dodge, "Praying with Jane," and she includes oh. 
Yes, it's a great devotional where you work through uh, the the three prayers that exist that that Austin wrote and Rachel kind of reflects on them, um, the meaning in Jane's life and how they can be real in our own lives too. Praying with Jane. Praying yep. with Jane. Thank you. 30 I'm days ri- I'm literally the writing of Jane down. Austen. Yes. So, yes. Uh, and so her, her Christian worldview is just completely, is completely imbued in her works without being, uh, you know, without having like the altar call at the end or the moral right. lesson. It's just, it's just sort of assumed in her writing right. and her world. So you just released a couple of months ago with B&H, like you took Sense and Sensibility and first of all, they recovered it beautifully, Mm -hmm. but then also you're, you gave us an intro and there's all sorts of reflections in it. How'd you pick Sense and Sensibility of all of her books to do that with? Oh, thank you for asking that question. Of course. I mean, so B&H I'm doing, this is the, actually, this is the project that I was to meet with them about when I got hit by oh, a bus. No. Yes. <laughs> no. We're very um, full circle today. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I had basically carte blanche to pick the books that I wanted to write about. And so of course in this <sighs> six volume series, and of course I was going to include Austin, then I had to decide, okay, so which Austin do I include? Because they're all yeah. wonderful. And I thought, well, most people who love Austin have read Pride and Prejudice. And that's my, one of my, I love Pride and Prejudice. I teach it. Sure. Sense and Sensibility um, is perhaps one of the least read of her works, but it was the one that I thought had the most to say to the church today. Wow. And 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 funny, it's just this conversation is amazing to me because we didn't talk about all this ahead of time, but it is full circle because what Austin was talking about in Sense and Sensibility, through this delightful story of these two sisters and all their shenanigans, yeah. uh, is the mo- that that separation that we in the modern world, and when I say modern world, again, I mean like the past 500 years, so Austin was also a modern, but that sure. compartmentalization that we tend to have between mind and emotion, and that's actually what the words sense and sensibility mean, as I explained in the introduction, in her world, right? Like reason and emotion, like in Austin's world, people saw them as opposed, just as we do today. And she's showing us in the book that we need both in balance. Yes. Oh, okay. And so what you've done is I don't have, I have a copy, but I don't have it sitting here in front of me. Pandemic problems. It's at the office and I'm here at my house. (laughs) Are your, are your, um, I know you did a beautiful intro. I read that before we left the office, but are there reflections all scattered throughout or is it kind of at the end? Yeah, no, that, so what I, what I did, and of course, you know, there are, there are countless editions of all of these classic works in paperback and hardcover and every bookstore you can find. And so why did the world need another one? Well, besides being beautifully bound, as you've already mentioned, (laughs) what I did with these is in the introductions, I provide a lot of context and guidance, but no spoilers. Most of Mm -hmm. these introductions do give spoilers. And because it's hard to talk about everything in a work without talking about what happens. So what I did is I don't have spoilers in the introduction. I really mean them to be true introductions, like read this before you read. And then I have discussion questions in this case, in sense and sensibility, because it was originally divided into three volumes. I have it after each, each volume. And that's where I help the reader think through the things that have happened so that you can read something 
read the first volume. Then I ask questions to help you reflect and understand the significance. Again, you can do this on your own or the book club. The questions are perfect for either setting. And that's where I'm helping the reader kind of work through the things that happen without spoiling it before before discovering the story. So if people haven't read Jane Austen, that's the one you tell them to start with, The Sense and Sensibility? I do now because I have this introduction. I would normally tell people to start with Pride and Prejudice. And in the series, I'm kind of trying to reach two audiences. The one, you know, people who already love classic literature and know these works, but then maybe ones who haven't read anything before. And so Sense and Sensibility felt to me like a a good choice for, for both those who may have read some Austin and some who never have. And listen, Karen, I need to tell you as a single woman in 2020, when when Marianne says that line, he never said that he loved me, but I know he did. And she has experienced ghosting. I'm like, listen, that, that is, that is unfortunately timeless, Marianne. <laughs> oh, I, you know, that's, that's again, Austin's brilliance. She taps into things about the human condition that have not changed. They don't ever change for good and bad, but mostly bad. Right. We- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think I, I find her to be, cause she never married. Correct. Right. She never did. Yeah. I just find her to be, I've always connected with her as a single woman writing and thinking about stories that she sees, but is not living. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've just always thought, man, that her ability to know the inside of an intimate relationship without Mm -hmm. having been in one is extraordinary Mm -hmm. to me. Now she was engaged for a day and one day. (laughs) about 12 hours. Um, And this is, no, this is, I think that, I think you will appreciate knowing this. We don't have a lot of details, but she received a marriage proposal one evening at a dance and said, yes. And by the time she woke up the next morning, she had changed her mind and she broke it off. And again, we don't know all the details, but how difficult she, she, because of the time, because she slept on it, and then broke it off, you know, there must have been something in her you know, that it just wasn't right. And it would have been yeah. so easy for her as a woman in that time, as in this time, to sure. just go with the flow and go with the guy that came, you know, a very, I mean, being married then really was pretty much the only thing a woman was supposed to do and could do. And sure. she turned it down for whatever reason, she must have thought it was wiser Um, And she made that difficult decision to say no. And so even more respect for her. Yeah, because I I feel like if she was to get criticism, a criticism could be she's this uh, single woman who just wrote love stories, but never Mm -hmm. experienced like bless her heart kind of thing. But she was making the choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, she she chose her life in some in at least once. Yes, exactly. Okay, so what are the other books that are going to be in the series you're doing? I know Heart of Darkness is already out. Yeah, so we're releasing two at a time. So the first okay. two were Sense and Sensibility and Heart of Darkness, which is very, very different story from yes. <laughs> from Austin. But I know, love this because these are your six like cherry picked <laughs> classics. This feels unfair. We feel like I feel like we should have to sign up for a class to get all this. Well, this is you know it's I I really wrote these books to kind of be like in the classroom with me. There's so many, they're drawn, drawn from things I talk about in the classroom, but you know, heart of darkness also, and especially the book itself and the introduction talk about some of the things we talked about earlier. Heart of darkness takes place 
in the colonial days in the Congo, when the Belgium empire was, was oppressing the African, the native Africans in the Congo and, and the church was deeply complicit in this, Mm. this oppression sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. And so in the introduction, I really try to draw some parallels between that time and the questions we need to deal with today, which we we talked about earlier on the program. Mm-hmm. But so Sense and Sensibility and Heart of Darkness, the first two, what I'll be working on this summer for the next release are um, Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre and <gasps> yeah, another favorite um, and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, I've never read it. And the book is very different from all of the popular portrayals of it. The book is amazing. So I can't wait to introduce that to to many readers. And then I think the last round will be Tess of the Durbervilles by Thomas Hardy. Okay. And uh, The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yes. Token American work. (laughs) Yes. Man, does it, I mean, because it, it, of all your books you've written, there is just something about these six that it's like your class. It's like taking a class. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I can't believe it. That is amazing. Yeah. Sense and Sensibility is on my summer to read your, your version, your copy of it to read list. Just cause I would, I have never did not choose when I was at university of Georgia, I did not choose well and did not take <laughs> a good English literature class. Like I should have. So I'm really looking forward to taking your class, your offering. Well, here's your B and H that's right. Is there, what other things should we be reading to, you know, I'm very good at telling people what to read that's coming out that's brand new. I feel like you and I, we're lucky that our peers are releasing really good books and we get to tell our friends what to read. But take me backwards. What's some what's mm. some literature we haven't read that that you would say, go back and pick these up? Well, of course, all of the ones that are coming out that I just, for me, that I just mentioned, but wait until my editions come out. That's right. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. I'll tell you when Karen's coming out. Because I always mention Jane Jane Eyre is probably one of my favorites. And so, you know, just. Why? What is it? Well, you know, and I will talk about this in the introduction, but just to give the teaser, like, again, Jane Eyre is one of those stories that if you haven't read it, you just think, oh, it's a love story. Uh, And it is that, but it's really the story it's an the allegory of a modern soul trying mm. to find its rightful place and its authentic and i mean that in the best way authentic self in a world that is rapidly changing and mm. and what a lot of people don't know is who haven't read it is how profoundly and deeply christian jane eyre the book and the character are jane eyre yeah. is tempted to do things that violate her her genuine Christian faith and is a huge struggle. Um, but she chooses God and faithfulness over love is so painful. And the yeah. ending, you know, well, I don't want to give anything away, but if you've, right. if you've not read it, wait until I, mean, I, read it. I haven't read it since high school. I mean, this is truly one of the youth is wasted on the young stories <laughs> because we read all these incredible books or we're assigned to read all these incredible mm-hmm. books when we're 16 and we do or we don't, but we don't loop back to them. Right. And I, I went to a public high school. I would have, ne- I don't remember them ever telling me that Jane Eyre's <laughs> faith was a major component of the story. Yeah, they probably didn't. And and we're so young then. And that's why, you know, it. that's why it's so good to go back and reread the classics, you know, over and over again, but also in different stages of your life because they, they mean such different things. Um, right. 
I, another classic I love to tell people to consider returning, rereading or reading for the first time is Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, another one okay. of my favorites. Tell it's us why. So, why should why should that be one we pick up next? Oh, Dickens is delightful and you know, he's one, his stories are kind of surreal and unbelievable. <laughs> Yet at yeah. the same time, he, he, he draws characters, even though they're, they're, they're almost cartoonish. They still, they're all, like, we almost, we usually know someone just like them and we just laugh yeah. at them. But, you know, the story of this Pip, this orphan boy, who's again, trying to find his way in the world and becomes kind of a, a jerk in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he learns not to be a jerk. Um, yeah. And I think most of us, at least I have to struggle with that in some way yes. or another. Yeah. I said to someone yesterday, I can tell you what a monster I am. Cause I've lived with me every day. I haven't missed a day. So <laughs> I, not, I am the nothing same. gets by you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I am just the same. Okay. Tell us one more. Is there one more that comes to your mind? Well, this is so. This is a little bit. I'll shift centuries and continents just to be a little bit okay, broader. Good. Flannery O'Connor, oh, the short stories of Flannery O'Connor. I mean, she's just bizarre, and you know her stories are known for being violent and strange. And so, yep. it's not everyone's cup of tea. But boy, oh boy, does she talk about the Book of Amos and mm-hmm. the Minor Prophets? Uh, Flannery O'Connor was a prophet. Yes. She and she can write the, the South. Church. She knows yes, how to write can. the South. She sure does. So Okay. Flannery O'Connor. Okay. We will those are we'll link to all three of those so people can start. Because I think there is my pastor here at Cross Point, Pastor Kevin, that our listeners know really well. He always says, I like to read dead people. <laughs> like there's just something <laughs> about reading books that have outlived the person mm-hmm. who wrote them, alongside reading the new books that are coming out from people as well. Right. Exactly. Me, I struggle with reading the new book. So I, I stretch myself that way. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I get, I mean, especially when you've given so much of your life's work besides faith and culture, so much of your life's work to these, these, this literature from 200 years ago. Exactly. What did they know about God that we've forgotten? Ooh, what a good question. I think that they, they knew that God is um, working in the world um, in a broader way than, I mean, than we tend to think about it. It, it, I I think that we tend to think of God as kind of our, our personal servant and Mm. therapist and helper uh, and BFF. Yeah. And he is those things, but I think there's a sense in which um, people in earlier ages, because life, well, speaking of the pandemic, I mean, they, I mean, they, they, there were plagues, you know, every century for a long time and people died young all the time. I mean, women died in childbirth or Mm -hmm. shortly. I mean, life was, Mm -hmm. as, as Thomas Hobbes said, nasty, brutish and short. And so the sense of, them people's sense of themselves was so much smaller and the sense of God and, and, and often he'll be referred to in, in by the title of, you know, Providence was so much bigger, like the, yeah. a sense of God being in control and us having so little control. Um, and we have it kind of reversed now. So I think that they understood the sense of, 
had a better sense of God being in control when their lives were much more chaotic and, and, and fraught than ours are. If, correct me if I'm wrong, but the thing that you saying that, and based on my not near as extensive reading of that time period, it was very much like God, God was the foundation and they did not question that. Even when their lives were truly, like you said, significantly less convenient and comfortable than ours. Exactly. And I mean, I guess that is why. I mean, there was a a lot lot less ability for them to control so many things that we can, that we struggle. We really struggle with with the idea of, of, uh, you know, God being the one in control instead of us. I heard a worship leader say yesterday, we did not lose our the control of our life. We lost the the false belief that we had control hmm. when all this started. And I was like, man, that mm-hmm. rings really true. That rings embarrassingly yes, true it, to my soul. Yes, it does. That <laughs> yes. I actually didn't have near as much control as I thought I did mm-hmm. because one disease in one corner of the world has changed my whole life. Right. And I had nothing to do with it. Well, okay. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to cover? Oh my goodness. We covered a lot, didn't we? I know. We really, <laughs> really ran the gamut. I believe I, us. I'm impressed with you. <laughs> I'm impressed with you. That was okay. awesome. I think what we'll do, I have like three more questions about Jane Austen. So let's, when we hop over on YouTube, let's just do a little more Jane, Lo- Jane Austen love fest Okay, for our people who are real Jane Austen-y. We'll do some of the deep divey stuff over there. But the last question we always ask on the show, because this is show is called that sounds fun. Will you tell me what you do for fun? <laughs> I am the most boring person. <laughs> oh, I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe it. For fun. I read. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, I go running and I try to do some, I should do more, but my, I have flower gardens all over and I like to yeah. work in them. So that's what I do for fun, but mainly read. <laughs> yes. Tell, talk to me a little bit about running. Do you use an app to help you run now that everyone's at home more and I'm not able to go to the normal gyms that I go to like a boxing mm-hmm. pl- or wherever I go, I'm doing a lot more walking and running outside. Is there an app you use that you love or do you listen to music? What's your, what's your rhythm of ri- running? Yeah, a lot of the running, I'm, by the way, I just want everyone to know I am not athletic. (laughs) Um, And I'm very slow. I do run more for my mental health and kind of balancing, you know, because I I have to think all day, and then I, I need to be outside and do something physical. So I either listen to music, but more and more I'm learning. And this is something that I've had to learn. I am developing my skills in listening to audiobooks. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's, I, I'm a visual learner. And so I, and I'm a reader and I really prefer yeah. to read with my eyes. And so I, I listen, I'm listening more and more to more lighthearted sort of suspense or mystery books on audiobooks um, when I run. And I'm really developing that ability and enjoying it a lot more. Yeah. And this show is coming out right before Memorial Day when hopefully some people will be doing a little more relaxing. Do you have any audiobooks you would recommend that you've really enjoyed? I usually listen to fiction because that's my love, but a uh-huh. couple of books that like Tara Westover's Educated, which is a memoir. That's what I've heard. Fantastic. I've heard it's unbelievable. I listened to that on audiobook, audiobooks, Audible. I, I love Stephen King's detective stories. Um, okay. A lot of people don't know that he's written like a trilogy of detective stories and they're, they're pretty good. And the narrators are always excellent. Um, and actually, um, 
one of the books that I wrote about in my book on reading well that I've read a couple of times and then listened to on audio uh, on audible, which is so well narrated and beautifully beautiful to listen to is Cormac McCarthy's the road, which is an apocalyptic work. Very well suited to this pandemic. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say, will it take us deeper into what we're feeling or will it make us feel better? (laughs) It will take us deeper, but it's very cathartic and very, um, ironically, it's a, it's an apocalyptic tale that shows us what it means to hope. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Karen, I would love for you to come back when your next rounds of books come out so you can, we can dive deep into all these old pieces of literature every time. It would be so fun. Thank you for doing this. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Annie. Oh, y'all, don't you love Karen Swallow Pryor? I know, I know. Listen, you've got to hop over to YouTube because we keep talking Jane Austen on YouTube. And she's, and Karen is sitting in, I mean, Professor Pryor, right? Is sitting in front of this beautiful wall of books when we're talking. It's just amazing. Make sure you head over to youtube.com slash Annie F. Downs, TSF, like that sounds fun. And check out our YouTube video. And don't forget to take the podcast survey AnnieFDowns.com slash survey. That would help us a ton. We want to know who you are. So thanks so much to Karen for being on the show today. Remember to grab her first of the series of books, Sense and Sensibility and Heart of Darkness. If you haven't Googled them yet, you just have to go look at the covers. They're beautiful. I really, really think you'll love reading a classic this summer and having it beautifully bound. So grab a copy of Sense and Sensibility and Heart of Darkness today. Make sure you get the copy that has Karen's uh, work in it alongside. So we'll link to those specifically. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you may need me, that is how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. I hope you are getting to listen as you travel a little bit today, even if you're just driving from a friend's pool back to your house or from a social distanced cookout and back to your house. Or maybe you got to drive and visit some family and friends. But I hope along your commute, we got to join you today. I hope you have a really great week. We'll see you back here on Thursday. It's a real special day on Thursday. We're having our friend Emily P. Freeman back on the show with a pretty fun announcement. We'll see you guys on Thursday.